You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Live Free Now, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. We're really excited to be joined today by one of the key speakers at the upcoming X and Build Land Summit, X and Build Land Summit number three, none other than Curtis Stone, who will be presenting on a whole smorgasbord of stuff, but he's got a course that he's been focused on lately that's going to help you to pick the ideal homestead. On top of that, of course, he's known as the urban farmer. He's done a lot of work taking small pieces of land and turning them into profitable urban farms. So. You know, I've been going through a lot of the responses to this survey that we did for folks uh, with, within the Liberty Academy community. And one of the big questions, there was like 350 people that responded. One of the big questions was, what's holding you back from buying land and doing this whole exit and build thing? And the number one thing on there, of course, was money. Uh, people are struggling financially. People can't make ends meet. Some folks are barely able to afford rent, let alone put a deposit down on a piece of land. And then on top of that, another struggle people were having is where do I find where do I find the land? How do I know if it's the right piece of land for me? So Curtis is going to be an amazing addition to this event because he can check off a lot of those boxes. He's somebody that's definitely walking the walk in addition to talking the talk and doing all sorts of educational uh, material there as well. So he'll be speaking on Friday evening. He'll be closing down the event and then he'll be doing an in-depth workshop on Sunday. You can sign up absolutely for free, exandbuildlandsummit.com. You'll get to watch the first day and half of the event. But better yet, you should get a virtual immersion pass or even better still, join us in person. So you'll get to participate in all the immersive workshops, get lifetime access to the replays and add all those bonuses. But it's shaping up to be a really incredible event and we're really grateful to have Mr. Curtis Stone on board. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring up our guest for today. Curtis, how are you? Great, John. How are you, man? I'm good. Life is good. Really glad to have you on the broadcast today. So what for, why don't you give us a little introduction for folks that may not be familiar with you, your work. I know you're up there in Canada. You recently got a giant homestead that's like totally off-grid. Uh, fill us in on who is Curtis Stone and how'd you come to this whole homesteading world? Yeah, well, hey, uh, just real quick, really, really stoked about to be here with you today, John. I've been a, I'm an admirer of your work uh, and the whole Freedom Cells thing for a long time. And, uh, you know, we have some mutual friends and stuff. And so um, really happy to be here. And it couldn't be at a better time. Uh, really worked out serendipitously with me launching this course and you doing Exit and Build. They're like a perfect combination of solutions for people to get on the land and all that. So I just wanted to say that. But yeah, people know me as the urban farmer. I, re I Well, maybe a year ago, I changed that on my YouTube channel just because I'm not urban farming anymore. In fact, I don't even... Uh, I, I, I'm trying to tell people to get out of the cities. So I didn't want to stand behind that title anymore, though, you know, my, my past number of years and my work speaks for itself. So I'll, I'll keep that there and all that. But now I'm off grid and um, we are, you know, really in the boonies. We're in a very low, not super low population. We probably got in a 60 mile radius. We probably got uh, 50,000 people in the area, little towns and stuff like that, but very rural. And we're totally off grid. We're on 40 acres. Uh, we're on a mountain ridge, but it's a really cool mountain ridge because it's a very diverse uh, topography. 
and it, I've got a lot of microclimates and stuff and it's, it's great. Uh, it's full summer right now up here. Uh, like literally it's 80 degrees right now. Uh, just a week and a half ago, we were down below freezing at night, just below and maybe 45, 50 during the day, but now full on summer. Unbelievable. We had an inch of hail a week and a half ago, <laughs> but now it's full summer. So the season's on and I'm hustling hard. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, what I'm, what I do now is, uh, you know, I, I try to show people in my content instead of urban farming, small plot farming, I still do small plot farming. All of my market gardening principles are still happening up here on my homestead, but I'm trying to show people how to live off grid, how to get off grid, how to find property. Uh, and that's a big part of uh, what I'm going to be speaking to your, uh, awesome audience about uh, in Texas, which I'm just so stoked to come down. I haven't been down to the U S in three years since the whole Rona thing. Uh, and I'm going to be teaching people how to analyze and evaluate land so that it can be a viable asset to you, not a liability because you buy the wrong piece of property. You know, as you said, you know, number one thing people in your space need is money to buy the land. Okay. So good if you can get the money, but even worse, uh, if you buy the land and it sucks and you find something out about it, that was a major threat or red flag that you should have spotted, but now you're stuck with this piece of land. And actually I have friends just down the road for me that did this. They bought a piece of property and they didn't evaluate and they didn't take my advice on, on uh, their, their topography and they have a very exposed ridge and it's a very difficult place to live in. And so if you buy the right place, it can set you up for a world of compounding interest on lifestyle food, uh, family, you know, all these things, but then you buy the wrong place and then now you got to get rid of it or tough it out. And so I'm going to be teaching people at your, at your event about how to evaluate land. And I built this whole online course about it. And like I said, really is so serendipitous with you and what you're doing. I mean, we just, we, we, we reach out every now and then, and we did that. And you were like, Hey, check out the summit I'm doing. You're interested in speaking. I'm like, yeah, Hey, check out this course I'm doing. It's a perfect combination of what you're, uh, motivating people to do down there. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad that I came across, I don't know what it was. It was an email from somebody with the, with the opportunity to sign up for the wait list. And I was like, this is absolutely perfect. So Curtis uh, and Live Free Academy, were partnering to craft like the absolute perfect offer to present to you guys that will help to accelerate what uh, everybody's goals to exit and build. So uh, really excited to have you. Really stoked, too, that it's the first time you've done an event in a while. That kind of adds a little specialness to it. So we're going to show you yeah. a good time. And I know our audience and the people that are attending are going to just be completely blown away. Again, you can attend for free and watch Curtis's talk on Friday. Or better yet, you can join us for the full event all three days or come in person. So what got you into homesteading? Uh, did you grow up on a farm or doing gardening with your family or was no. there some kind of catalyst that caused that shift? What's that all about? Well, you know, I, I've been a prepper for a long time, John. Uh, and I was, I, I've been into, you know, calling it down the proverbial rabbit hole longer than I was farming. What got me into homesteading? I always wanted to live on the land. You know, um, when I was about 16 years old, I really started to just think, why is it that I have to go to work to get money, pay taxes, inflation, regulatory compliance, blah, 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 just to live? That always bothered me fundamentally. And as a teenager, it became more and more unsettling to me. And my dad, who was not a prepper, but call it a, 
guy who's really into conspiracies um, told me about the Federal Reserve central banking system and all that when I was 20. And then that already having that unease of why is it that I have to work for the government to live? Like, how is that? Uh, Combine that with, I read G. Edward Griffin's uh, Creature of Jekyll Island in my 20s. And and that that right there was a pivot to go, I want to live in a way with a true holistic context. So in a way, kind of taking ideas of permaculture, the principles there, and also principles of the black pill, if you will, wanting to invest and move my energy because what is money? You know, it's, it's stored energy in a way it's your work, but then the government manipulates it and does this, that, and the other with it. But I want to live in a way where my efforts go into the biological capital on my land, the the relationship with my family, uh, our, the the holistic nutrition that we, that we live on and, and can grow ourselves and the animals that we raise, the forests that I am a steward of, I want to live in a way that instead of me going to work for dollars that ultimately just pays the Rothschilds, I want to live in a way where when I cut firewood, I own that work. That's my work and I share it with my family and there's no middleman. When I grow vegetables on my gardens and I feed that and we and my wife and I prepare that food for our children to eat, we own that work. Nothing gets between it. So I would say that from a, from a really principled standpoint a philosophical one. Uh, it's that, and you know, ultimately what's, what's going on in the world. Yeah, sure. I was motivated to be a, a prepper a very long time ago. What happened with the Rona and now what we're seeing with all this new world order stuff, uh, certainly motivated me more to, to, for my wife and I to say, yes, finally, let's actually do it. Cause we I wanted to do this since I was a teenager, literally, but it's hard to do it. You need money. You need skills. Uh, you need all kinds of other resources and it's a ton of work. And so you need to be in a place where you can do it. And so, you know, I think the Rona for us really motivated us to be, yeah, well, we had a house and we did very well. We doubled our money on our house, sold it at almost the peak of the market and came here and dumped everything into this. And we bought this land for cheap, 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 cheap. Uh, but it was undervalued because people did, don't know how to read geography. And again, this leads to, the stuff I'm going to be teaching you, your folks about uh, in the course that I built is that because I knew how to read geography, analyze the landscape, I could identify that within the topography, there was two main water draws here that I could utilize where the well, there wasn't a, it was a duster well and people thought there was no water here, but I, I knew there was water here. And so I was able to buy this place cheap because of these observational things that, uh, that we're, we'll probably talk more about, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, that really is what motivated me. It's kind of long-winded, but that mo- that's what motivated me to be on the land and live off-grid the way we do. Right on. I love it. And uh, you bring up a good point about just having ownership and control. And I think a lot of, you know, like property is like that which you control. Freedom it has a lot to do with controlling your life and having yeah. choices. And so when you step into this homesteading paradigm, this self-reliance paradigm, you have a lot more control over your life. You're a lot more independent. It's a lot harder to twist your arm. That was the big strategy that government used to try to force the vax and all this stuff. That's they right. tried to pressure, coerce, manipulate, socially engineer. But for folks that are out in the country, there wasn't that drastic of a change no. in lifestyle. You just kept Not, on none. keeping on. Yeah. Yeah. The only, the only thing that changed for us is when we go into town, 
we had to deal with people freaking out about masks and things like that. Um, but other than that, I mean, we're in paradise up here, man. I'm out, I'm out, we're all half naked, me and my family, we're in the garden and, and we're working together. And, you know, my kids, what I really love about being on the land, and this would be the same for me, even if I was still market gardening as, 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 a, as an income, um, is that our children witness us doing work. And the work is something that they want to be a part of. My daughter, my, my boy's still a bit young to, to say, I want to work. He likes to come in the machinery with me. He's three and a half. And he goes in the skids here, the mini excavator, things like that with me. But my daughter, when I'm gardening, she's like, oh, I want to help dad. Can I want a tool. You know, like, the kids want to be there. And my wife and I are really big into unschooling. And, and, and it all, you know, it's all holistic context, which is so cool is that when you live on your land, you have the ability to funnel your constant energy and work into that land, especially if you can capitalize it, right? And that's what I've taught prior to me going off grid. That's what I spent the last 10 years teaching people about is how to make money on their land, how to make, you know, half a million dollars on half an acre of land on a market garden, you know, showing people stuff like that. And um, yeah, I just think it's, it, it's everything because the system, the new world order wants you compartmentalized. That's what they did to the family farm. They compartmentalized it so that there's no connection to the land. It's just commodities, chemicals, inputs. Whereas when you bring in the holistic context, and that includes everything, your fam especially your children, onto that land, that lifestyle alone builds so many things passively so that you might say, oh, well, living on the land's a lot of work. You got to chop firewood. You got to, you got to till the soil. You got to do all this stuff. Yes. But at the same time, I don't have to send my kids to school and, and, and they're not going to come home and say, my, my boy's going to be saying, daddy, I think I'm a girl. My teacher says that I'm a girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we can incorporate the whole thing holistically and it's all there. Yeah, it's work, but the work is love. And, and that all of that pays back in dividends. Excellent. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, I spent the whole Sunday the other day because I spent a lot of time here at the office. But every time I, we do a full work day, a farm day, it's just so fulfilling and it, it's just such good work. It's a good exercise and the family time's great. My wife and daughter went to this Freedom Cell meetup at the river. And I was like, I just need some rest because I'm constantly talking, constantly dealing and messing with people and this, that and the other. And my son, he likes he's a homebody, too. He just wants to stay at home. So we just had a whole day to ourselves. We got some yard work done. We filled in some more of the wicking bed garden. So it really is fulfilling work. And at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to the more like the more lazy people are or the more people don't want to work. Somebody else is going to have to do the work for them. And it just puts people into a state of dependency. And yep. when you're dependent, you're definitely not free. Uh, let me ask you this. One of the things that we focus on here at Live Free Academy, you know, we, we, we bring people together. We teach the mechanics. And, you know, with stuff I can teach the mechanics, success, entrepreneurship, some of the food growing stuff and buying land, cryptocurrency. But one of the things that I really try to focus on, I think it sets us apart from a lot of the uh, competitors or just other people doing this line of work, is I focus on cracking people open so they recognize their limiting beliefs. Because there's yeah. so many people that want to do this homestead lifestyle or want to do an intentional community and come together and buy land cooperatively. But the biggest thing holding them back is all these self-imposed obstacles they set upon themselves. So 
in your experience, what were some of the things that went into the thought process? Did y'all have reservations before you decided to do the homesteading thing and, and be more independent? And what do you think some of the struggles people have in their own head that prevent them from plowing forward with all this stuff? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, my whole life story is, as I'm sure yours is to some degree, um, is just an unraveling of various limiting beliefs. And I mean, those go so far back that it's even hard to to pinpoint because they start from probably the minute my parents put, I, I grew up in a very conventional environment. My parents divorced and then I ended up in public school system and all this. And so I, I didn't unravel a lot of limiting beliefs or even be aware of them until I was probably in my early thirties. I'm 43 now, but yeah, I mean, I, as far, I can honestly tell you that as far as us making this move to do this, we had none. Um, but in because I had already been working on the land and had an established career doing that, I felt confident that I could do it. Uh, it you know, it has been overwhelming being a general contractor. I'll tell you that because I'm kind of been. We're also building a home. That construction is happening right now. I've got a crew out there. Um, managing that has been a whole new next level challenge for me. And I've added. This is my third year doing it, so I'm finally kind of figuring it out. But yeah, it's been challenging. But in my audience of people that I, you know, I see the comments on my YouTube channel, people in our from the field TV communities and Freedom Farmers communities and all that. I see those limiting beliefs, you know, a lot of people, I, I think, I think as you pointed out earlier, the money is the biggest thing. Um, but that can also be like, they might say, Oh, well, I don't have the money, but that can be a limiting belief because some people might say, well, I want to go down to the e exit and build summit, but I can't afford it. And it's like, well, right there, what you should have said is instead of saying i can't afford it you just have to say well what do i have to do to afford afford it right a any limiting belief can be turned around and just inverted into now it's just a choice and an opportunity it's not the fact that you don't have the money isn't actually your problem that your problem is that you are not asking yourself the right questions or giving yourselves the right challenge and People are so compartmentalized from birth, you know, and the, the whole public school system and the media industrial complex and, and all these psyops that are happening to us are just more and more imposed limiting beliefs, but they're all self-imposed. Everybody decides to make these choices. And so I think, you know, you have to just break it down to what is the, what is the thing that's in your way and then ask yourself, well, what do I have to do to get that or get something out of my way to get to that step? And that we could go on forever about that, but that's fundamentally, I think, what it comes down to. Yep. I can't afford it. Or you should say, how can I afford it? For sure. And they all can be flipped. I like to call it flipping the script. Flipping so the script. Aware. Yeah. Yep. Become aware of that stuff and just flip it around on its head. A lot of people are their own worst enemies, but we could be our own best champion and cheerleader. And okay. Then so that's one of those the world opens up, right? Yeah, for sure. One of those limiting beliefs that comes up most often in, in you hinted on it is is i don't have the money i can't afford to go to the land summit i can't afford the course i can't afford to buy land so in your experience doing the the farm thing and, and the urban farmer and making a small piece of land profitable what are some tips and strategies you would give to people on how to get started making some extra income or making the leap to being self-employed or, or anything on doing farmers markets what, what yeah. would you suggest well, I mean, there's all kinds of things. I mean, the first thing is just start. That's the number one. 
And then there's always going to be an element of figure it out as you go. And I think the best entrepreneurs I know are all that way. Just kind of uh, fake it till you make it or sort of better to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. I think too many people, this one of the challenges we have in today's media um, world with our ability to communicate as seamlessly as we are right now, you being in Texas, me being in British Columbia, is that there's so much content out there that people get overwhelmed because now instead of, you know, uh, some TV celebrity being um, an unattainable thing of some Hollywood show that you watched on TV in the nineties before the internet, um, things were a bit more far removed. And, and, and in a way, the fact that it couldn't relate to that in a way, help people in, to some degree. And now you go on YouTube and there's a thousand homesteader channels. And those people become sort of externalized to you because they're not here with you and you don't know them in person. So you kind of glamorize it. You sort of, you sort of put it above you that makes the limiting beliefs almost more acceptable because now things that would have seemed so far out uh, that were unrelatable are now sort of relatable, but they're externalized. So it still has that element of, well, I can't do that. Um, and so I, I think that's something that I, that I, that I see a lot with this stuff is that people, you just have to do it and you're going to, you're going to fuck up. You're going to make mistakes as you go. And so what suck it up and just get started. And then as you get started, be aware. And I'm trying to be broad here because we could go in any direction with the specifics of agriculture, as you know, um, it, but is it as you go, you're really being aware of those feedback loops. And this is where the pr principles of, you know, the early Bill Mollison and David Holmgren in permaculture really honed in on was this idea of observe and interact and, and always be doing that. And, and this is one thing that I found in the market gardening space that really led to the success of my farm and also led to the success of tens of thousands of people that I inspired to do the same thing is that in a market garden, when the crops are quick growing, more turn and burn crops opposed to perennial crops, you have a faster feedback loop. And even with microgreens, for example, you have a faster feedback loop because your growth cycle is 10 to 14 days. And then, you know, with my market garden, my growth cycle was, say, 30 to 60 days. I grew crops within that scope. There was a fast feedback loop so I could try some stuff, get some feedback, see what worked, what didn't, reorganize go at it again so you had those those fast feedback loops and and that's important and on a homestead the feedback loops are different because there's a lot of other elements um but i would say in anybody's context if they're getting involved in something on the land whether that's homesteading or making money on the land is that you be aware of these things and, and observe and interact and change as you go and don't be afraid to make mistakes you're going to make mistakes and sometimes I think it, it, fundamentally this comes down to the paralysis of analysis, right? Yep. That, that cliche yeah. is that because there's so much content out there, people go, Oh, I'm not ready. I can watch more videos. I could do this and this, this, or people mm -hmm. think they need to go to school for things. And it's like, no, just do it and, and just get started and make mistakes as you go and correct. I love it. And that's what I was thinking as, as you were saying that people just get caught up in their head and it needs to be perfect, but experience really is the greatest teacher. Uh, and I know when I start when I started Live Free Academy, I'd been wanting to do a crypto course, an online course for so long, but I just put it off and put it off and was focusing on my natural products business. And when I finally did it, 
it was a huge success. And then I was met with a world of customer service tickets and needing to reply to this and that and build out the infrastructure for the replay. But it forced me to figure it out. And yeah. a big fan of Grant Cardone, he always says, you want to give yourself new problems because those problems force you to grow. That's the right. The same thing is when it comes to money, when it comes to homesteading, gardening, or bringing people together to start a business or to form a community. Sometimes yeah. you just got to get your feet wet and figure it out as you go. Everything is figure outable. Okay. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit now about finding the ideal property, right? So you've been doing a lot of work on this for many years now. You've condensed it into this incredible course. We're going to be putting together a special offer for folks that will go will go live at the Exit and Build Land Summit. And you become an expert on this topic, not only from purchasing land on your own, but also advising and consulting people. So what are some key things for people to consider? I know you have a framework. Maybe you could tease that framework. What yep. are some things that people should be considering when they start their search? Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, yeah, we, we, we don't have to go into the, to go into the whole framework. We would take too much time, but basically, um, you know, all the time that I was the urban farmer. So going back, I, I started that whole thing in 2009. Yeah. Wow. Uh, 2009. Um, I was working on farms. I had my own farm, but I was asked to be a speaker and go around the world. And I soon developed a consulting career and whatnot. And the vast majority of my consulting was looking at people's land. Uh, either they would fly me down there or they would send me real estate looking listings to look at online. And um, basically, I got really good at evaluating land. And, and I got it so good that when the time came for me to buy my land, I knocked it out of the park. I got a place at a third to half the price that it would have been if that thing that I that I noticed uh, was there to the people could observe, it would have been paid twice as much. But I knocked it out of the park because of these skills. And basically what these th this 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 method, because I did this for years and I didn't really have this method. I would just look at the land and I kind of knew intuitively what I was looking for because I also lived on the land and I've been farming and I've, I've traveled down and visited farms all around the world in many different countries. And so I knew it sort of in this nebulous, holistic way, um, but then kind of like learning to play music without reading sheet music. And then you learn to read sheet music and then you can go, okay, yeah, this is that and so on and so forth. That's kind of what I did to the process of this course. So I laid this thing out into this, this process of analysis that is a, a framework that has essentially 13 pieces. So the first piece is understanding your context. So the foundation of how you look for property has to first start with what you want. What do I need? What does my wife need? What do my children need? What do we want to do on this land? Do, and then specifics of that. Um, are we off grid? Are we on grid? Uh, do we want to raise animals? Do we want to have a, a, a garden? Do we want to have an orchard? Do we want to have room for firewood? What is your context? That's the number one thing first is to try to get people that their head around is understanding what you need. And then that sets the foundation, just like in a building project. Once your foundation is true and set, now everything after that will fall into place a lot easier. And so that's where we start. Then we, the first thing we do when we look at a piece of land is we have first thing is look for a threat. What's a threat? I look at that. I can pull up that property on Google Earth and I can see, right? Am I surrounded by big ag? You know, you look at some states in the US, Nebraska, uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, uh, parts of Wyoming, um, uh, 
Ohio and, and so on. Massive big ag, center pivots. You don't want to live near that stuff. You don't want to live near GMO crop Roundup Ready where they're spraying Roundup from, help, from, from airplanes. You don't want to live near that. So looking for threats, power lines, are there commercial power lines? Uh, are you in a flood zone? Looking at the geography around you, you know, basically going through. And, and for, the reason you want to look for a threat first is that if you're going to, if you want to look for a property and you want to pick a place to live in, you want it, um, you want to look through the most amount in the least amount of time and save yourself the most amount of visits. Cause every time you go to visit a place here in Texas, Oh, I want to move down to Idaho. Well, that's a drive or a fly away. Right. And so you want to make as many observations and pick as many winners and, and disqualify as many losers from your desk. And so if you look for a threat first, that's the thing that would have disqualified that property right out of the gate. Just doesn't matter if it had good geography, good water, good soil, irrelevant if that threat is there and you can't control that threat that property is disqualified so going through that first then once we get through that gate we go through 11 pieces of the based on pa yeoman scales of permanence and we go through all these things so we look at the climate evaluate that we look at the geography and the landform we evaluate that water socioeconomics uh all the way down soil microclimates to aesthetics and experience, we evaluate a property based on those things. And a big part of what I'm going to do at your event is I'm going to go through this framework. First, I'm going to demonstrate it in the first talk. And then the second talk, I'm going to go through winners and losers for every element of this framework and just show people examples. Because in my course that I built, Finding the Perfect Homestead Property, I basically go, I evaluate 54 properties across USDA zones, three through nine, across the continent of Canada and the US. And we go through a full spectrum analysis of these properties to demonstrate how basically through repetition, just watch me do it, watch me point out all of these things. And then you learn from that. And so, but that's essentially how my process and how I go through it. I love it. And it's, it's, you know, when you do it so many times, you really start to find those those simil similarities uh, to, to focus exactly. on and to lean in on. And I appreciate how you how you started off. I'm a big fan of uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Me Covey. So yeah, begin with the end in mind, and that's exactly yep. what you want to do. One thing that yep. always springs up for folks, and you know, we do this whole homesteading, exit and build, get out of the cities. We have a 10 acre ranch ourselves. But people think we're out in the middle of nowhere. I think your place probably is pretty far out and and with not a big bunch of big cities and towns around. But we're 15 minutes from a small town that has a population of 8,000. And that was something that we wanted. We still yeah. wanted to be able to go in for the movie. Although it's like the movie theater and the skating rink in this town are like trapped in 1978. It's pretty funny. We're, we're close to a town just like that with 4,000 oh, cool. people. We're about 20 minutes and yeah, so, it makes yeah, a big difference. Similar. You can still go to the restaurant. You can go down That's to right. the park, take the kids to do some yep. fun stuff. But some people, they're like ready for the crap to hit the fan tomorrow. And they're like, I want to be far away from everybody. So you got to yep. get real clear with like what it is that you want. And then everything else is deduced from there. Now, well, and there's, there's a, so go ahead. No, you go. What do you got? I was just going to add that you can break that one down to the minutia as well. And that's, and that's what I even do in the course. So that would be for me a, was a socioeconomic factor. And that's mm -hmm. in our 11 scales of permanence where we evaluate resources, what's close to you. Cause if you're going to build a homestead, you're going to need stuff for a while. 
I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately the goal I think with most homesteaders is to become as self-sufficient and self-reliant as possible and sure. not needing groceries every single week. But in the meantime, you got to get there. And so if you're too far out from things, that can be a real drag. And so part of the way we picked our property had took that into factor too, is that, okay, I've got a bigger, bigger city a few hours away. I can do that once a month, twice a month. That's okay. But if I need stuff like, oh, I forgot this, I forgot that, it's, it is more convenient to be closer to a smaller town. And I would say that's an optimal size town. I wouldn't want to be too close to anything over 20,000, maybe 50,000 you could push, depending on the type of place you're in. Devil's in the details, of course. But, you know, but then towns, like there's some places in Missouri where you've got like 200 mile radius of tiny towns with no more than a thousand or so people. And that can be really challenging sometimes because now you're just driving all over the place to get different things and it, and it, and it just becomes a time suck. And a, and a resource uh, suck as well. Yeah, and those are all things that you need to evaluate, evaluate the quality of life. If you're going to be driving everywhere, especially if you're building stuff and doing big projects, some, yeah. some, some lumber and stuff can be delivered too, but now you're getting really costly. And ultimately, I think the most valuable resource we have is our time and our attention. So definitely Absolutely. something for people to consider. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're chatting with Curtis Stone from The Field TV uh, used to be the urban farmer off the grid with Curtis Stone. He's doing all sorts of incredible stuff. He's going to be joining us at the Exit and Build Land Summit 3. Really excited to have him in person. First time that he has come travel to an event in three years since all the COVID craziness. So yeah. really grateful to have him. Um, shout out to the folks watching on Odyssey, YouTube. And I just started streaming on Twitter, which is pretty cool. I'm a big Twitter cool. guy nowadays. Nice. So, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your homestead? I understand you got yeah. some crazy solar system. I thought we were all yeah. doing it big with 11.2 kilowatts. And well, that's pretty good. Power walls, yeah. But you guys have a whole power production center there. It could probably power the small town near you. Can you tell us how, well, much the, yeah. how much food do you get from your property? And tell us about the energy. And, and just let's let's hear a little bit yeah. more about what you built. Um, yeah, I mean, on the, on the solar, it's, it's big. Um, my last system, because I've had two homes that were solar powered. My first one in Kelowna, which was a grid tie, maybe similar to yours. I had Tesla power walls. I had 11, 11 and a half kilowatts of solar. Um, this system is, is ridiculous. Uh, you know, I wanted to, I'm the kind of guy that goes all in. Like, I, 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 that's just always how I've been. I just go all in and I'm literally putting everything I have into this. Um, so our solar system is 20 kilowatts of solar. So there's 48 panels. They're like 430 something watts each uh, on three different rigs um, that are in different directions. So uh, uh, for us in winter climates, this is more important than it would be for you guys down in, in, in Texas or further down on the equator. Um, and I have, uh, they're, they're all south, but then I have a panel that's slightly east and then a, a, a true south and then a slightly west panel. Um, what I'm going to do this year is actually take my slightly west panel and just put it straight south. And then I'll have my partially east panel, which is really good for the morning. Because then in the wintertime, that panel's getting like 4,000 watts. And the other ones are not even getting 1,000. And that extra rush of power is great, is handy for us in the morning if I'm doing stuff. And then I don't have to draw off my batteries, which is just good for the longevity of a system. Uh, but we have 100 kilowatt hours of battery storage. Um we have three charge controllers for each rig, uh, two inverters. We've got a 13 kilowatt diesel generator, which I only use for about 20 days a year. 
uh, because our solar system is so overspecked uh, wow. that we could literally power a, a, a little, like call it a, a village of homes. And that was the plan. Like we're, we're, like I said, I go all in on stuff. And so we're going hardcore. Like I'm going to build other little homes here and stuff um, maybe for visiting family or who, who knows, you know, like I, it's, it's Noah's Ark really going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so for me, it's, it's all the four nexuses of human survival, food, water, energy, and shelter. So we had shelter when we moved here because there was already like a little cabin, which we still live in while we build our house. And I'm currently in part of the house. Uh, it's the house is a detached garage and a passive solar greenhouse attached to it. And then my office is also in there and this will all connect to the house with the deck. Uh, so we already had shelter, but we're working on that. And then food, well, food was relatively easy for me being in my background, at least as far as um, annual vegetables and perennials, because I'm really good at growing stuff. So we've got currently about a half an acre of annual vegetables. We have a passive solar greenhouse, which is right next to me, which never freezes, has a climate battery. It's a stable climate. I can do tropicals in here if I want to uh, and grow things year round, microgreens, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then I have a, what I call a hothouse, which is a, a heated high tunnel, which has a climate, a, a shallow climate battery. And I've already got that thing half full of, uh, I've got broccolis this tall already. I've got spinach, kale, we're harvesting, um, just seeded carrots in there. And then I've got a high tunnel, which looks like more of a market garden high tunnel with 30 inch beds. That's already got my tomatoes. I'm just about to put my peppers in there. Uh, and then I've got another kind of quarter acre ish, bit, bit more of field production. Uh, and I'm just starting to prep those beds right now to put in my onions, uh, potatoes, and then all my other annual vegetables, direct seeded stuff and everything. So we grow a ton of stuff. I'm, I'm growing feed for my animals now, uh, or will be this year. Uh, like summer just happened. Like it was winter and then it was summer, barely had spring here. And so it's all coming on really quickly, but you know, corn. Have, have you done, have you done the math to determine how many, how much of your family's caloric intake is coming from your own property? Cause I imagine I, it's I, a decent chunk. Well, it is decent. Uh, and last year it wouldn't be as good as it's going to be this year because we're constantly, like we're building and doing this at the same time. And so, yeah, this year, I mean, it'll be like 100% of our produce year round, like no question. Love that. Uh, that would be saving things like, well, our berries will be good by then too so smoothies for the winter frozen stuff but apples and stone fruit and stuff like that i'm not fully cranking that stuff i've got that planted you know i've, pl I've got, i'm putting in another half acre of food forest this season but that won't get planted out until the fall because all those trees need to be dormant um but it's it's significant i mean we raise uh we have our own eggs so we very call it getting close to self-sustaining as possible with our egg layers and then we're also raising some turkeys and uh, some other meat birds this year. We still have to supplement feed. I'm trying to, my goal is to try to make my bird livestock. Uh, I want to get them on compost and I'm going to grow worms and, and black soldier larvae and things like that. I want to try to get them. I want to eliminate feed. I don't know. I, I think it's possible, but we're trying that. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's quite significant. I mean, at the same time though, like we're still, we still need stuff, you know, we're, we've got a long ways to go, but I, I would say within three years going to the trajectory that we are we will be able to be 100 food uh secure at that point and food sovereign is a better word at, by that point whereas uh if if the lights went out tomorrow and, and grocery stores shelves were empty we would be able to go for a lifetime at that point right now because of our preps 
if the lights went out tomorrow, we could survive for years, no question. But we would be we would be surviving and not thriving. Within mm. three years, once I get the rest of my perennial tree crops in and, and, and have more of my animal infrastructure more dialed in, I think we'll be able to be thriving in three years uh, and not just surviving. Excellent. I love that. And you, like you said, if crap hits the fan tomorrow, you guys would be okay. And that's a good place for people to be in. And it's something that folks need to evaluate. I don't and know. It's that easy crap to do. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's easy to do. Are you serious? It's easy? No, I, no, no. It's easy. No, no. So two discussions here. Food sovereignty, food mm -hmm. security. It's sure. easy to become food secure because food security just means you have a surplus of food that you can eat for a period of time. So you can go, these play, these things are manufactured in Texas. You can go in all those things like Alex Jones promotes and Tim pool. Oh, those, yeah, yeah. Those, you can, you can, what I'm saying is it's easy to just spend $5,000 and buy enough food for a year. If the lights went out, it's not easy to become food sovereign where now those systems are, cyclical and 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 they will produce and follow more of the, a path in nature where they become uh self-replicating right that's what i mean by that so sure yeah excellent excellent okay cool now let's talk about where people choose to reside as far as freedom and threats and it's always give and take right so no. you guys are in a very remote area and pretty much off the grid and ready to roll uh, but you're in Canada, so there's some trade-offs there, right? Other people yeah. are close to the big city, or some people are in the freest state in the union, but they live in a suburb. What are some considerations for people when choosing which political jurisdiction to reside in that, that you would encourage them to, to think about? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very nuanced question. I mean, I could go on that for an entire day. I'm not kidding you. Um, I mean, an easy one for Americans is Republican states, but even in there... The challenge sometimes right now, and, and, and as somebody who spent like six, the last six months looking at real estate across the United States, I can tell you that you might say, hey, I want to move to Idaho, but so does everybody else. And so to find a place in Idaho is very difficult um, to find a good one at a reasonable price as well. Um, and so that would be one. But another, I would say the thing that you have to really understand when you want to get yourself off grid and on the land is that the political demographics of a place don't necessarily equate across the geography. For mm -hmm. example, uh, Texas is known as a Republican state, the free state. However, Austin is yeah. a liberal hellhole, right? Yeah. There's drag queen pedophile time happening in Austin all the time. And so, <laughs> um, you know, so the case in point is rural and urban is different. Yeah. And so, you can go to a place like Washington. Okay, so here's a really good one in the U.S. Gold mine. Here's a golden ticket for people. If you want to buy incredibly cheap land that's really good for off-grid, it's northeastern Washington State. Yes, Washington State is super Democrat, but they're all in Seattle and, and the big cities. Tacoma, that whole the whole western uh, seaboard there. You go to northeastern uh, Washington, it's super rural. People out there are very conservative. Washington state has no income tax. Okay. No state income tax. And you can go do all your shopping in Portland. If you, if you dare go to Portland where there's no uh, sales tax. And that's what a lot of people in bank, the area of Vancouver, Washington really leverage that loophole. Um, but you can do that, but then you can find properties that are super cheap. Like the, some of the best properties we evaluated in this whole course I built were in Northeastern Washington state, close to the Canadian border. 
Now, one thing I'll say about Canada too is people think if you if you listen to the media, especially the alternative media, or even if you listen to like Tucker Carlson, and I'm I'm a fan of Tucker, um, you'll think Canada is this crazy dictatorship with this. I call it it's a it's a it's a fascism in pink with a rainbow swastika, <laughs> and 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 in Canada. The fascist, though it, I, I would call Canada a fascist state. I, I would also call the U.S. a fascist state too. Corporate fascism, really. But um, in Canada, the the thing that's great about it is it may look like, oh, they're passing this bill against free speech. They're passing. They subsidize transgender surgery. They do all this madness. The lockdown stuff was crazy. However, the military footprint in Canada is not even a hundredth what it is in the United States. And our tax collectors, for example, won't kick your door down with armed IRS agents. They'll send you a letter. And so Canada is a benign fascist dictatorship. Yes, it's fascism, full on. Justin Trudeau is an absolute puppet fascist dictator. But our state has no force here. They'll send you a letter and you'll get some transvestite knocking on your door. Excuse me, would you mind filing your taxes? Oh, okay. Sorry. See you later. Canadians are so notoriously polite, but our, our state has no power. So just like, you know, people move to the Mexico and say, well, Mexico is great because it's a failed state, which is true. But then you got cartels that almost have more power than the state, and how it'll affect you. So it's always a complicated question and the devil comes into the details. But I would say in Canada, we're living as free as we've, I've ever lived in my life. And I've traveled all around the world. And I, I, I would, I would challenge I'm looking forward to having these conversations with you and Jack and, and even attendees at the conference to really drill into that and compare, because I, I would make the case that I live more free up here than your freest state in the U S because we don't, there has no force up here. And in the rural countryside, we don't have HOAs or any of that crap. Like you guys have in the U S nobody cares about what you're doing. Nobody's building with permits. Nobody in the country. It's anarchy. It's total anarchy. In a good way. I love it. A, a lot of people, I mean, at the end of the day, government and the state, it, it's like a mental construct really to get philosophical, but it's like, if you're that far right? yeah. away f- or, or what? Governmente, mind control. There, there you go. Yeah. The, for, the further away you are from the bureaucrats, especially the armed bureaucrats, right? Not some, uh, you know, the guy that the meter made, so to speak, the more yeah. free you are. But a lot of people, they'll focus on what Trudeau said at the press conference. They'll focus exactly. on the law that the province just passed. But 99% of that doesn't affect you at all. Same Not thing when it comes all. to taxes and money, too. Like the further you are away from the beast machine outside of a corporate job, there's a lot of under the table trade and barter that Big goes time. on out in rural areas. It's just a pastime for folks in these areas. And it's always been that way. That's the thing that's amazing. It's always been that way. And so what I what I say to people, because I'm, I, you know, like yourself, I'm a bona fide anarchist, is at least in my philosophical standing. But more people equals more government equals less freedom. Mm. So it's a trifecta. And 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 again, there's nuance and minutia to that. In that you could be there's parts of the U.S. where you could be you could be in say a Coeur d'Alene, Idaho where when BLM and Antifa tried to smash it up, people stood in front of the shops with their assault rifles and said, no, thank you. 
right? And so that's a population I wouldn't mind living close to. But again, it, it's in the details. But generally speaking, it's more people equals more government equals more uh, equals less freedom. And the reason that what what that really comes down to is that government is a service corporation. This is a fact. Canada is registered as a corporation on the United States Securities Exchange Commission. Where the U.S. is registered, I'm not so sure. I think it's probably the city of London or maybe D.C. itself because D.C. is a city state. But government is a service corporation and everything that they give you is an offer and you volunteer everything. And so you need to be aware of that. And once you really start to understand your rights, I mean, you got a guy at the conference, I believe, talking about land patents. I mean, that's total gravy for you guys in the States. It doesn't work up here, but... Um, you know, you, when you understand these things and have a clear picture of what you're dealing with, then. Thank you. Froze there just a little bit. Maybe you'll come back here in a sec. If you're just joining us, uh, we're going to be wrapping up here pretty soon. Curtis will be presenting in person at the Exit and Build Land Summit 3. Uh, the ideal way to participate is to join us. Uh, in person in Bastrop, Texas. You're going to absolutely love it. He will be uh, doing a talk on Friday. Anyone can register for free. There he is. Anyone can Sorry, register. I know where I dropped for, out. Uh, no problem. Anybody can register for free for that. Uh, Excellentbuildlandsummit.com. And he'll be doing a more immersive thing, breaking down some of the different properties and help teaching this framework on Sunday. You got to have a virtual immersion pass for that or better yet be there uh, in person. So yeah, you've been exploring kind of that private world too. And like we're saying, making an offer. Can you relate yep. that back to owning land and, and being in the country? How, how What are the implications there? Uh, you mean as far as like owning your land as like an allodial title or like, what do you mean? Well, I guess the big challenge too with land, you know, it's easier to skirt this or that when it's like not something real physical that can be taken or threatened. Um, but you know, it's a challenge to avoid this corporate state when it comes to property tax, for example. It seems easier to avoid the income tax than it is property tax. And Way again, easier. Property tax seems to be the only one that we I haven't figured out how to do something for, you know. And do you all have a property? Is the does the province or do you all have counties in other counties in Canada? Not well, in some provinces, yeah. Uh, we call them regions here uh, or districts. Um, I will tell you though, as somebody who's looked at real estate all across North America, property taxes in Canada are often a quarter to a 10th, the, the, the price is in the U S across the board, uh, except in super high dense municipal areas like Toronto or Montreal or something. Um, uh, what was it? What was it? What were we going to go on that with? I mean, yeah, it's unavoidable. Um, but at the same time, as far as doing things privately, visibility is everything you know and this in, in, even in my course we really break down that as a um access so one, one of the 11 scales of permanence is access and circulation and then another one that kind of intersects with is socioeconomics in that how is the property line drawn out how, how does how is it actually shaped how much frontage on the road is there um and for me when we picked this property we i wanted at the my utmost highest value. And again, this comes down to your context. What do you want? It might be different than what I want, but because I'm a quasi celebrity and I had problems with fans showing up at my place in Kelowna, I had people that would travel from the U S to come and knock on my door. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> not exhausting. I wanted privacy. I wanted uh, security. Um, I, I I'm sort of apocalyptically optimistic with everything the way it's happening, but I, but I'm sort of preparing for the worst, hoping for the best. And so I wanted to be, I wanted to have the high ground, 
I wanted to have no visibility from any road. And so that, that, I mean, definitely a highway. And when I tell people, when we look at properties, you know, don't be on major highways, don't be on interstates, don't have a frontage to a, a major road, even better to be at the end of a dead end road or on a small country road. Sure. Where, you know, only three people in, in the area are using that road. So I wanted like absolute privacy. And so our property is, has challenged because of access, but I, but I, uh, compromised on that for the privacy and like we live in its mountain paradise, John. I mean, my we we live a southeast aspect. We get these sunrises that will like make you shed a tear. They're so beautiful mm -hmm. in the winter when the inversions of the clouds go down and it comes up above the sunrise ab above the clouds and it's blown out and purple. And anyways, but we have this privacy where we can hang out naked all day as a family in the garden and just working. Nobody else. And right now I've got construction guys up here. I'm not gardening naked and subjecting my crew to that. But but we have that that privacy and, and going to the question of the private and, and, and the, these annoying bureaucrats is, well, can they see you? Because, mm -hmm. and, it, and it's not even a matter of, can they see you? It's what do your neighbors see and what are your neighbors like? Mm. And so, I, you know, when we were looking for property, I, I'm good at talking to people and like a big fan of St Stephen Covey and, and Napoleon Hill and self-improvement books like this is that I, I always build a poor with people. And so even before we bought this property, I got to know people in the area and was like, Hey, you know, just through conversation. Oh, they built this. Oh, they, they didn't have a permit for that. Oh, they built this. They didn't have a permit. It looks like nobody here has ever had permits for anything. <laughs> so, except, you know, maybe some stuff that's in very visible areas, but um, it comes down to that. It's just like, what can you see? So you can learn all the legal lees of the law that you want and there's remedy in that for sure. But ultimately, it just comes down to what are your neighbors like? Are they annoying people that call HO and call mm -hmm. the HOA? And that's one thing I'll tell you that's so much better in Canada. We don't have HOAs up here. Well, there might be some here that was not common. Our, can, Canadians are so much less litigious than Americans. Like you guys have that stereotype of suing each other for everything. That just doesn't really happen up here. And so people generally mind their business more up here, especially in the country especially in the country, but you get into really highly agricultural areas like parts of central Alberta where everybody around you is commercially farming. Then there's no privacy because everything's blown out for ag crops. There's no trees. You can see everything. And that's, so that's on the flip side of where I am, which is what I wouldn't want to live in. Yeah. Yeah. There's a low per capita Karen ratio in the country and exactly. Canada, it sounds like. Uh, okay, cool. Before we let you go, uh, can you give us uh, answer this question? Why should people attend the Exit and Build Land Summit Three? Oh man, you guys! I mean, well, from my perspective, it's the first time I've done an event for three years, and and I'm I'm a social guy, and I like these events. I love meeting people and just bullshitting and going out for drinks and stuff, and I'm really looking forward to that. So I think. What people, what you need to realize with events, and I, I spent a, my entire career as the urban farmer was doing events. I was, I've been through 42 U.S. states doing conferences, events like this. The value you get in an event like this is actually the the nuanced time with the speakers and the people there. Is the relationships? You, yes, you, you get you can get all the information if you sign up and 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 do and do take, you know buy the full virtual ticket for your summit. You'll get all the information, no question. And you'll get some level of nuance too, because in a live talk, people throw questions at me and, I, and there's a bit more engagement there. But when you go to an event like this, 
and, and especially in this community of people who like in your community, the Freedom Cells community, Jack Spearco's community, this is, these are salt of the earth people and the people you're going to meet are going to lead to huge opportunities. And I can tell you from doing hundreds of events like this over the last 10 years of my career, the network of people I've met at these events is that is the value. And, And it's actually hard to put a dollar value on that. And so if you're the kind of person that likes to meet people and likes to, uh, experience the energy of a room and, 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 and that it, just that whole experience, you're going to get so much value out of it. I mean, it, there's no way that you can even put a price on these things. Like I can tell you, I, I, the people I've met in conferences doing these things for years, I still, I got to, I, Jack Spearco, I've known Jack for years now because we first met at one of the first or second permaculture voices down in uh, Temecula, California. And we've been friends ever since. And I was connected to Jack through you. And, and so you'll meet people and, and, and that's where, that's where it's at. Social capital for me is like one of my highest values. And so going to events like this is that you can't put a price on that. Excellent. I appreciate that. And that's definitely one of the big, one of the big value factors of coming to an event. There's business relationships. Our vice president of sales met his girlfriend at the last big event that we did. So definitely opportunity to a lot of people. That's one of the reasons why they don't want to go because they have some social anxiety and such, but it's definitely important that you get comfortable uh, with the uncomfortable, because like you said, social capital is critical. It's what's going to get us through these hard times or better yet. It's what's going to help us build a better world to avoid the hard times altogether. Take, take the, take the slight discomfort now. I mean, people make up excuses for themselves, but it's like, Hey, would you rather be uncomfortable meeting a few people than being uh, five, 10 years down the road, not preparing and then feeling yeah. totally alone when now the new world order is a lot more at your doorsteps and, yeah. you know, so yeah, get over it and go down and meet people and be awkward. Who cares? It's fun. <laughs> We're all a bit weird. That's what We're I was telling weird and awkward and quirky, right? We're all a bunch of weirdos. Cool, yeah. man. Well, this has been extremely valuable just sitting down with you for this hour-long interview. I'm very much looking forward to your talk on Friday and to the workshop on Sunday. And most definitely, above all else, looking forward to, to hanging out. I think we're going to have a Absolutely, great John. Totally. Cool. Thank looking you so to much. That. Appreciate it. Hey, brother. All right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Curtis Stone from The Field TV. Uh, Firmly the urban farmer off the grid with Curtis Stones, his YouTube channel, doing a lot of incredible work. We are extremely grateful to have him presenting, coming down all the way from Canada uh, to present to you guys. Again, you can sign up for free online at exitandbuildlandsummit.com, exitandbuildlandsummit.com. You can watch the first day and a half absolutely for free, no cost whatsoever, no risk whatsoever. You got to sign up if you haven't yet. Or you can get a virtual immersion pass. So you can watch all three days. You get the replays. You get all sorts of incredible bonuses, the replays of the first two land summits. And then we handpicked some of the work that we've done here at Live Free Academy to help make sure you're ready to go off grid, to be self-reliant, to grow your own food. And then finally, there's still in-person tickets available. The price goes up May 5th at midnight. The price goes up May 5th at midnight. So you're going to be able to get it much cheaper if you purchase today or before the end of this week. We hope to see you in person. The VIP dinners, uh, there's live music. The people are just incredible, very incredible crowd. It's really empowering too. So if you have this excellent build dream, if you want to get out of the city, if you want to buy a piece of land, if you want to move an RV onto a piece of land, if you want to find people to cooperatively buy, 
a piece of land to get the price down so it's more accessible, then this is the event for you. We're going to crack you open. We're going to push you and we're going to empower you. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Until next time, stay free out there, y'all. Bye.